0: Good afternoon, Crossroads. Hope everyone is doing well. In the year 2000, a guy by the name of Dr. Robert Putnam, uh, who at that time was a professor at Harvard University, he wrote a book called Bowling Alone, The Collapse and Revival of American Community. It was an important book because um, through his extensive research, he diagnosed a problem which had been unnamed in our culture. Using bowling leagues as an example, he said that people used to live lives that were intersected with one another. We used to have webs of relationships where we found great joy and meaning and purpose and love. But now, he argued, we bowl alone. We have lost connection with others. We have become isolated people. He says that we have been isolated and disconnected from family, from friends, from neighbors, from our, even our civic and democratic structures, and we have been isolated and disconnected even in the church. And we think, the church? You mean the institution designed by Jesus where we could all be truly known and loved? The church, that spot where we serve and we are served, that spot where we worship Jesus together, that community where we're on mission together, the church of Jesus Christ, a place of isolation and disconnection. How could it be? In our series, we have been looking at the church. Uh, We've been calling it City on the Hill because that's what Jesus said to his disciples. He looked at his disciples during the Sermon on the Mount, and he said, you know what you are? A city on a hill. A city on a hill that cannot be hidden. And we see in the book of Acts the early church, and we see how the first Christians formed the first Christian communities, and part of the light that Jesus intends to shine from our city on a hill is the light of community, the light of fellowship, the light of our lives together that are so beautiful, so rich, so meaningful. The, the world sees the way that we love each other and it's like a bright light to them an attraction. I want that. So how did we move from the city on a hill where our love shines light in the community around us to being people largely who are isolated and disconnected even within that very church? To that, we're going to again look at Acts chapter 2, this picture of the early Christians. So we're going to start in Acts 2 verse 42. Here's what Luke, the physician, says. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Awe came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So we see in this text that the early Christians devoted themselves to a few things, to the apostles' teaching, yes, to prayer, yes. But in the middle there, it says they devoted themselves to, quote, the fellowship, The fellowship, and this is a really important concept because for most of us in the church, we view fellowship very narrowly, right? We think, well, fellowship is that stuff we do before the service and after the service. It's like chit-chat around a cup of coffee, right? Hey, we're going to have a men's meeting. It's going to be fun, food, and fellowship, meaning, hey, we're going to sit around, we're going to talk about sports and that show you watch, and, you know, we're going to chit-chat. But when Luke looks at the early church and he says, you know what, they devoted themselves to fellowship, he did not mean they had great conversations around the coffee pot. He meant something much richer and fuller. In fact, the word in Greek is a well-known one. The word is koinonia, Maybe we could say that together. Koinonia on three. One, two, three. Koinonia. It's a word that comes um, from the word, uh, the other, another Greek word for common. Common. It, it describes the, the early Christians having a common life in Jesus. A common life in Jesus. Jesus. So if the early church was devoted to a common life in Jesus, what did that look like? How can we devote ourselves to fellowship? What does that even look like? I want to draw three uh, markers of koinonia from this text. We're going to see common life, common purpose, and common spirit. First, common life. Look, Look with me at verse 44. All who Believed, were together, and had all things in common. Notice what it says. Yes, they met together. They met together in the temple, they met together in homes, and that's what we think of for Koinonia, right? It's like getting together. But for the early church, it wasn't that they just met together. The text says they were together. It wasn't an activity necessarily, it was an identity. Not something that they did, but who they were. They had been radically changed by the grace and the love and the forgiveness and the mercy and the salvation of Jesus. And when that happened, it wasn't an an isolated, solo, lone ranger thing. When they experienced Jesus, they were thrust into a new family. They had new brothers and sisters in Christ. They were part of a new web of relationships called the church. And it was a large, diverse group of people. You know, it's interesting, when you look in the New Testament, you don't see the apostles scolding people to come to church. They're not like, hey, come to church, guys. Why don't you come to church? I'd love for you to come to church. No, they, you couldn't keep them out of church. It was part of who they were. They longed for it. Fellowship, here with my brothers and sisters in Christ. I'll do it daily. Give me twice a day. It'd be like if you were converted to being a New York Knicks fan. And somebody was like, um, hey, I just want you to know, as a converted and you Knicks fan, you have to go to Madison Square Garden and cheer on the Knicks. And you'd be like, no command necessary, man. Like, I'm there. <laughs> I, I, I long to be there. Like, I, any chance I could be there, I'm there, man. And we look at the, you know, it's interesting, coming out of the pandemic, all the church gurus, they're like, well, before the pandemic, people came to church like three times a month. But now, after the pandemic, people come to church like one time a month. That's just the new reality. That's the way people are. They watch online. They come once a month. The early church would not have understood that. They've been like, you do what? Like, you, you would rather not be in fellowship with your brothers and sisters than Christ? Like, they, they ask you to go to Madison Square Garden. and she, Like, what is going on? No, because it was part of who they are. They had experienced Jesus in such a way that they longed for it. And here's what's amazing, is this group of early Christians we're incredibly diverse. If we were to look earlier in the chapter in verse nine, um, Luke actually tells us who was there to hear Peter's sermon. These are the people who got saved, and here are the, these are the people who joined the first Christian communities. Here's who they were. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, J-Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, visitors from Rome, Jew and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. What is Luke trying to say? this was a whole bunch of different people from a whole lot of different places. And when we look at the early church, there were all sorts of different ethnicities, all different socioeconomic classes, men and women, political diversity, people across different spectrums, political thought. And all these people trusted in Jesus and they were thrown into a family And here's what's amazing, is this family was one of the strongest witnesses to the worthiness of Jesus. In fact, when Jesus is like, hey, how are people going to know about me? It wasn't first and foremost what they said or even what they did, good works. It was who they are as a family. Just look at how they love one another. See how they love one another. And as they see how you love each other, they're going to understand something of my love for them. How are they going to know about the love of God? Well, they're going to see it in our fellowship, in our koinonia. You see, in the first century, religions were mostly tied to a certain race or class, or gender. Even the pagan philosophers typically attracted a certain class of educated people, but not Jesus, and not the church. From the very beginning of the church, it was everybody. And friends, we carry on that legacy. Look around, different ethnicities, probably people with very different um, socioeconomic um, realities, people who are very educated, PhDs, people who are not very educated, people with a lot of money, people with not a lot of money, people from all different types of religious backgrounds, different upbringings, some of you from New York, some of you not. And now you're all together in the family of Jesus, and everyone has equal value, worth. Everyone has a role to play in the family. Everyone has dignity. Why? Because what we've said in the family of Jesus, in the koinonia of the gospel, is that we have found the one thing, the one thing that can unite us, that none of the secondary things has the power to divide. There's something that we share in Christ that is deeper and more powerful than the ethnic, social, economic, or political ties that would divide us. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a pastor who lived in Nazi Germany, and he ran a small seminary where a bunch of uh, people would go, and they'd live at the seminary, and they'd do this life together, this common life, this koinonia, and he wrote a book about it. It was, it's called Life Together. And he says that there's often a type of person that comes into the church. They have great intentions. And they, they're looking for all these ideals in the church. Here is the way I like it. Here is what the way I think it should be done. Here are the people that I like to do it with. Here's all the things that I want in a church. And they bring all of those expectations in. And Bonhoeffer says, Though they are well-intentioned, they end up destroying the fellowship. He says this, he who loves his dream of community more than the Christian community itself becomes a destroyer of the latter, even though his personal intentions may ever be so honest and earnest and sacrificial. What is he saying? Sometimes we're so stuck on how we think the church should be We miss the beauty that it actually is. Part of the beauty of this church is the messiness of this church. Part of the beauty of any church are the people who drive you crazy. The people who are difficult. And you're like, man, I wish I had a church with a bunch of people, like cool people like me, easy people like me. That's not a church. It's not a church. Might be a country club, but it's not a church. Part of the church is that we come together and we're all different. We might even drive each other a little crazy and annoy each other, but we say, hey, I'm gonna do life with you because we have found the one thing that's gonna unite us, and that's Jesus Christ. We're gonna lift him high. We're gonna sing, holy, holy, holy is his name, and that is what is going to unite us. And yeah, we might vote different. We might have different convictions, different preferences about this or that, but I'm putting all those things aside because this is my brother. So we have koinonia, a common life. Second, we have a common spirit. This is amazing. Verse 43, And awe came upon every soul, like every soul, awe, <laughs> and many wonders inside were being done through the... Apostles. See, their koinonia was not a stale and generic um, going through the motions. Like, oh, let's just do like a religious thing together and like check it off, feel better about our week. No, it was like, my soul is in awe of who God is and what he has done done. In fact, when we trust in Jesus, we're filled with the Holy Spirit. So I'm filled with the Spirit. Kyle's filled with the Spirit. You are each filled with the Spirit. That unites us in a very real way. We have a common spirit. We are sharing in Jesus together. Paul says in Philippians, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation, you know that word? Koinonia, in the Greek, in the spirit. Any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind. Koinonia is a sharing in the Holy Spirit of God, the life of the Trinity. We are in it together. And you know what that means. We share the the spirit of God. Christ is in us so when we come together, there is something dynamic happening. The spirit of God in me is working. The spirit of God is in you working. And when we come together, there's an encouraging. There's a building up. There's a, um, there's a life together where we say, hey, we are pursuing this worship of God. That's why when we come to church or we come to the community group or we come to an event with brothers and sisters in Christ and we just go through the motions, we're missing out because the Holy Spirit in you and the Holy Spirit in me, we're looking to worship Christ. I was listening to an interview with a pastor that I respect and he was saying that he had a chance to go to the Asbury revivals. Do you guys read about this in the news? Uh, I was in Wilmore, Kentucky, a very small town. This group of college students was praying and worshiping. I think the service was supposed to be like an hour and a half. It ended up going several weeks long, and people around the globe came to worship. And this pastor uh, went to the, the revival, and the interviewer was like, hey, man, tell me about it. Like, what'd you see? What'd you experience? Give me your hot take on the revival. And he's like, man, I don't have any hot takes, but I'll tell you what I saw. I've never seen a hunger for God like I saw. He said, I saw elderly um, couples coming to pray on their faces at 1 a.m. I saw a dad with two young boys coming in around midnight for prayer. And just like the hunger for God in the room. He said, I just can't explain it. We wanted more of God, more of God in our hearts, more of God in our families, more of God in the city, more of God in our churches as they were just crying out, God, we want more of you and that's what happens in real koinonia because we're all filled with the spirit of God. The question is, do we come with that type of hunger? Do we hunger for God in this place? What a gift. Every Sunday at three o'clock in Bay Ridge, you're gathering. Look at the believers in the room. Maybe you're here and you're not a believer and you're checking things out. Fine. But probably many are followers of Jesus. What a gift. Do we expect God to do anything? Or do we just kind of come and do the religious stuff? We have a common spirit third we have a common purpose we'll talk more about this next week but look at verse 47 praising God and having favor with all the people the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved can you imagine what would that look like in Bay Ridge What would that look like? I mean, that would blow every category that we have. The Lord adding to our number every day, those who were coming to know Jesus. There was a winsomeness about the Christian community an attractiveness. People looked at what they had and it wasn't material possessions. It wasn't like, you know, grand houses and great jobs. No, they looked at the koinonia and they said, that, is what I need. Look at how they love. In the Christian community, then we're able to come alongside and say, well, actually, let me tell you about that love. Yeah, I'm loving Joe, even though he drives me a bit crazy, but I love him because guess what? I was that way to God. I was running from God. I didn't want anything to do with God, and he loved me. He pursued me. He set his grace and his affections on me, and I came to know Christ, and now because God loves me in that way, I'm loving this These people, like Jesus did. And they're like, whoa. How can I know that, God? Well, let me tell you. The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. It's a partnership we have in the gospel. Again, the apostle Paul, uh, Philippians 1, he's thanking the church at Philippi. And he says, I thank you because of your partnership in the gospel. You know that word is in the Greek? Koinonia. Koinonia. Thank you for your koinonia in the gospel. Hey, thanks that we've linked arms together in this common mission. And again, Paul, he's taking up an offering for the churches in Jerusalem, and he's, he's at the Greek churches, and he's talking about the church in Macedonia, and the Macedonian church doesn't have very much, but they're begging Paul. Hey, Paul, we really want to be a part of this. Paul, we really want to give. Yeah, we don't have much, but we really want to give to this. Like, let us in. Put us in the game, Paul. And this is what Paul says. They were um, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Guess what word that is? Koinonia. Paul. Please put us in the game. We want to be counted among the koinonia of the saints. We want to be in that partnership. We want to be in that fellowship. Put us in. We don't want to be on the outside. We have a common purpose that unites us. That's why when you come into the church, it's such a beautiful opportunity for you to figure out how you're gifted and to use your giftings. There is somewhere in this church right now that needs exactly you. There's a spot for you. There is some ministry, there is some area of need, and you know what, Like who God made you to be is exactly what they need. Because that's the way God designed it. In fact, I wanna close by looking at a long passage in 1 Corinthians. I know reading long passages at the end of the sermon is generally a bad idea, but I trust you guys can hang with me for like a couple minutes. Sweet. This is how Paul describes it. It's an extended metaphor about the body. For the body, and he's talking about the church, of course, believers, does not consist of one member, but of many. Okay, that makes sense. If the foot the foot is talking in this metaphor, should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. Or if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, think about that, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? Also a funny image. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. Who chose them? God. So if you're here, who chose you to be here? God. If all were a single member, where would would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand... I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet. I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker or indispensable. Listen to this. This is, this is crazy. In those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greatest, greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there be, may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Do you get the metaphor? It's, it's actually very, very powerful when we're talking about life together. We're talking about koinonia, because part of the rub is how do we treat one another? And Paul lays out a few principles here that I just wanted to pull out for us. First, he says, don't condemn or disqualify yourself. Did you see that? He says, if you're a foot, like don't don't come into the church and be like, well, I'm just a foot. I mean, look at the hands. They have opposable thumbs. They grab stuff, they wave. I mean, look at me. I'm a foot, I'm stubby, I got short digits, like, what, I can't do anything. Paul says, don't do that. Because they need you. Cut off your feet, see how you function. Yeah, you're not the hand, that's okay. Don't disqualify or condemn yourself, first. Second, Paul says, don't uh, condemn or disqualify others. So if you are the I, don't look at the hand and be like, the ear, and be like, we don't need you. I got this covered. I'm seeing things real clearly. Pun intended, thank you man. <laughs> no, like I'm gonna come in being my full footness. I, my full feetness is gonna be on display when I come into the church. So as a foot, when I see an eye or an ear, I'm not gonna say, we don't need you, we got it covered. No, we need you. Did you. But did you notice at the end how Paul sums this up? So don't disqualify yourself. Don't disqualify others and pay careful attention to the most vulnerable among you. Now, that's the type of community I want to be a part of. You know, sometimes um, in our culture and in our world, the most vulnerable are kicked to the side. Right? We don't need them. They slow us down. They're not helping us reach the bottom line. Let's move on from them, not in the koinonia of the church. We give greater honor to the parts that don't have honor. We pay careful attention to those who are the most vulnerable. And then everyone gets dignity. The foot, the eye, the hand, the ear. Everyone gets has a role to play and everyone has dignity in how God made them to be. Because guess what? You didn't have any um, say probably in you being a foot or a hand or an ear or an eye. God gave you those gifts. So we honor everybody. So you might be thinking as we uh, close today, you might be thinking, hey, um, that sounds really good, but you're talking about longing for fellowship? I don't feel it. I don't want it. Like, I I, I don't have that in me. Well, there's two things. First, um, a key part of that metaphor is that there is a head, and that head is Jesus. And so, if, if you're not connected to the head, then you're not part of the body. So, the most important step is being connected to the head, which is Jesus. And you say, how do I do that? Well, the, the scriptures tell us very simply we get connected to the head through the work of Jesus Christ. That Jesus lived for us. He died in our place. He rose from the dead. And when he did so, he offered us a gift. A gift of grace and forgiveness and salvation. A connection to the God who made us. All it takes from us is faith Repentance. We say, I'm turning away from the way I once lived and I'm going to turn toward Jesus. That's what we're doing. So maybe today you got to get connected to the head. Secondly, maybe you're saying, you know what? My desire for fellowship has really grown quite cold. And maybe you would say, you know what? I haven't been devoted to the fellowship. I've been interested in the fellowship. I've been kind of connected to the fringes of the fellowship. I feel like I kind of date the fellowship. (laughs) You know, I'm like swiping right on the fellowship. But I haven't really committed. I mean, come on, I'm busy, man. I got stuff to do. So maybe your step today is to move from connected to committed. To say, "Hey, I want to be devoted to the fellowship of the saints. Put me in, coach. You want to be like a church in Macedonia begging to say, "Hey, I don't want to be left out of this. Put me in." So maybe your, your step today is to come to Pastor Kyle and say, "Hey, I put me in, coach. Like I, I want to be committed. Like, I want to be a part. I want to be devoted. I want to be in. I've been checking things out, and that's fine. But I want to take that next step. So maybe you connected the head. Maybe you take the step today to be devoted to the body. Let's pray together. Father, we do give you thanks, and we give you praise. Oh, you are a God of such grace and power and love. God, you don't want to leave us isolated and disconnected. In fact, you have created this spiritual dynamic of the fellowship, the koinonia of the saints, and God, we are blessed to be a part of it. And as we sing and as we respond and as we pray and as we take communion together, God, we do it as the koinonia together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.